Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. This week is Christmas. Did you know that? Of course you did. It's been said there's nothing sadder in this world than to awake Christmas morning and not be a child. Certainly Christmas is a childlike time of great expectation, great anticipation, uh, great joy. Before my sister was born, <clears throat> Christmas was just uh, glorious. <laughs> I meant that. <laughs> Because I had my mom and dad to myself, and uh, she was seven years behind me, so I have some pretty strong memories of being out with my mom and dad, getting bundled up on a crisp night, and uh, you know, it was very exciting to drive into town because we were going to look for a Christmas tree that we would later, you know, decorate, probably have a fire in the fireplace, and we would do some you know, Christmas shopping, and I just, um, you know, you'd be walking in the, on the streets, and they would be busy, and, uh, uh, you know, just alive with people, and smiles, and rosy cheeks, and when you would enter these stores, there would be a lot of just bustle, and hustle, and people, and the Christmas music would be going, and it just, it was just entirely charming, you know, the the lights and the decorations, it just shimmered. And uh, I, I even have memories of snow being caked on the street, which is a complete impossibility because I grew up in Modesto. <laughs> Maybe I got that confused with heaps of mashed potatoes at Christmas. And uh, maybe I had that confused with all the Christmas movies that I've watched in my lifetime, you know, like Miracle on 34th Street and so forth. But aren't there just wonderful thoughts, memories, and feelings that we associate with Christmas? In fact, Christmas, someone said, isn't a season, it's a feeling. And there's a certain amount of truth to that. It is a feeling that is shaped and fashioned and molded by just some wonderful images and, and memories with special people in our lives, uh, some of our best memories, and the feelings that are associated with it, we, we have at Christmas time. And that's possibly why some people realize that Christmas can make everything twice as sad. Because if this Christmas is different from Christmas past, it's doubly difficult when there are so many exhilarating, childlike anticipations, expectations, joy associated with Christmas, especially if at a time like Christmas, um, a chair is empty, a smile is missing, we find ourselves in circumstances or a situation that unlike any other time, or even Christmas, we find ourselves suffering a great loss. 
or a broken heart. I, you know, I wondered whether I should talk about these things. Christmas is such an uptime. I don't really want to be a downer. But, on the other hand, that's really where Christmas began. Yeah. I mean, it was a... It wasn't even called Christmas. And it wasn't even a high holiday. It wasn't a holiday, a holy day. It was just an ordinary day, a day like any other day. It was a day that was made extraordinary because God came down. Love came down. Love was born. The love of God was born, embodied, incarnated in human being. God so identified with us in the midst of our plight, a broken world, a world where things go wrong and death reigns, God came down and it changed everything. And I just wanted to remind us as we are coming day by day, hour by hour, and even minute by minute closer to Christmas, I hope we'll come closer to the meaning of it. And I thought as we thought about that, I realized that in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That really is the story of Christmas in an economy of words. And in those words are this great truth. In fact, the story of Christmas, the heartbeat of Christmas, the very purpose of Christmas. And we need to be reminded to appreciate Christmas. And that is, you and I need to know once again, today, tomorrow, and the next day, that God loves you. God loves you profoundly in ways that are hard for you to imagine or appreciate. God loves you. And knowing that helps you to know that God knows what you're going through. Whether it's a boon or a bane, as they say, whether it's uh, just, a hey, great, or kind of full of grief, God knows. And it's important to know that. And at Christmas time, that's what the message of Christmas is. God knows what you're going through, your difficulties, your highs and lows. He knows up close and personal from the inside out because of the birth of Jesus Christ. He not only knows it, but he cares. And he cares enough to get down right into the midst of all the things that we suffer and experience, the worst and harshest that life has to give. And he knows it and he cares. And we know that because he loves 
and he loves us. In a book called Yawning at Tigers, and uh, the author Drew Dick, he wanted to really recall to his readers the fact that we sometimes take God for granted. Uh, as if you were yawning in the presence of a tiger, which is not wise, I'm told. I've not ever been around a tiger that was not safely caged. But if I were inside the cage, I don't think I'd want to take that too lightly. And sometimes we take God lightly, as if we were to yawn in the presence of a tiger. God is majestic. And what uh, Drew Dick went on to say that I wanted to share, and maybe you would keep it before you. I really think it's the context in, which, in, in, in the midst of which to appreciate Christmas is that it's only when we've been awestruck by his majesty that we can be overwhelmed by his love. In other words, the more majestic is our conception of God the greater will be our appreciation of his love. That makes sense to me. If you have a very small God, you have a very small love. It's maybe a love you don't even need. But if you contemplate God and get some, some sense, have some capacity, maybe have your mind stretched and your heart expanded to appreciate who it is that is saying, I love you. Maybe that'll make a more profound difference in the way you see yourself today, see others around you, see and weigh your circumstances, face an uncertain future, consider the purpose of your life, and more. All of that and more is before us in John 3.16. We tend to gauge love, and it's only natural. We're, we're human, right? We gauge love, and it's uh, gravity, it's glory by human examples by the way humans love. There are humans in our lives that when uh, we expect them to love us uh, greatly and they don't, it deeply disappoints us and discourages us. And sometimes that can even collapse or shrink our notion of love. We tend to define love by the examples, the human examples in our lives. how much more profound when we think of what God has done in Jesus becoming human in the birth of Jesus how much more then to realize the profound expansion and enlargement of our understanding of love through this one-of-a-kind human example that we associate, that we think about, that we celebrate, that we worship at Christmas. It's mind-blowing to me. I mean, 
It's the greatest story ever told. And yet, in the story of Christmas, it's a story in which we become characters because of the person of Jesus Christ in a way we cannot become a part of any other story that has ever been written, shall be written, read, or appreciated. There is no other religious leader, no other philosopher, nor leader of any kind, and maybe more importantly, no deity or God of the ancient world or of contemporary appreciation or making with whom the words God so loved are uttered, written, or even associated except the one, the human, the God become human, Jesus Christ. And if you ponder that, that without this Christmas that we celebrate, these words would not be told. These words would not be written. We would not even have the opportunity to reflect upon, or even better, to take to heart, God loves you, in, in ways and in a depth we will never fully appreciate, or could we exhaust I found this week, I was reminded this week of something that I had uh, stored on my computer from a while back. It, they're actually the words of Napoleon. Everybody's heard of Napoleon, right? You know? And Napoleon was that uh, conqueror of civilized Europe. But when he failed, and his conquests were over, he was exiled to St. Helena. And there he had time to reflect on the measure of his accomplishments. And he called to his side an aide, and these reflections have been recorded. And I, I, I did a fact check, and it's, I think it's all bona fide from what I've read. This is just an excerpt, but I wanted it to maybe bring into focus what we're, what we're celebrating. When his aide, he asked, can you tell me who Jesus Christ was? And the aide declined. He said, well, then I will tell you. Alexander, Alexander the Great, Caesar, Julius Caesar, Charlemagne, and I myself have founded great empires. But upon what did these creations of our genius depend? Upon force. Jesus alone founded his empire upon love. And to this very day, millions will die for him. I think I understand something of human nature. And I will tell you all these were men. I am a man. None else is like him. 
God so loved. That's what we see in Jesus Christ. An empire of love. Love come down. Love become human. Love go to the cross for you and me and rise again. And that gives us once again a reminder that he knows, he cares because he loves. And he gave. He gave his one and only son. You know, we uh, have a uh, we get together uh, here at the office, uh, and uh, we of the office, uh, the pastoral staff and everybody, we, we have a gift exchange. I happen to introduce this little twist. Uh, we bring gifts that, uh, in the, in the, the, you know, the, the, analogy, the idea is you, you, these are not white elephant gifts. You, you give a, and bring a gift that you would like to receive yourself. And, and that's always fun, funner. And you could, it's kind of also an inside joke because we, we know who brings certain gifts all the time because they're so suited to that person. But, um, but then it's an exchange. We draw numbers, and then we go over in the table. These gifts are unaddressed, and, and so you really don't know what's in the box or the bag. But it's interesting. Human nature is such that people gravitate to the big bags and the big boxes. Even though our rational minds tell us that there's no necessary equation between the dimensions and size of something and the value and preciousness of it. What I want us to appreciate is in the the humility of God giving his son. And, and how the idea of God becoming man is magnified in the light of his majesty, his humility, that God didn't give us just things, he gave himself. And there's no greater gift, no deeper and richer expression of his love. Parents know that sometimes we can get into that thing of giving gifts to express love, but ultimately we know, and the experts tell us, give of your time, give of yourself, give of your heart. And that's the greatest challenge to every parent and grandparent. It's the challenge of every husband and wife to give of yourself. And that's what God gave us in his one and his only son. He gave of his best. It's the humility of God to, to, to say, in a sense, at your lowest level, I'm going to meet you there in Jesus. We get a sense of that. You know, when you turn to the Gospel of Luke, you open that second chapter, and it begins this way. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. I've read that for years, but in the last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of, 
I've just been immersed in all my extra time in learning about Roman life and culture because in a way I didn't even appreciate when I became a Christian and immersed myself in the New Testament and the Bible. I mean, there are indicators, but really that was the Roman world, the whole Mediterranean, including the Holy Land. Everything was shaped and influenced even there, although there was resistance, the pounding of Roman culture and ideas. And at the top of it was Augustus, the emperor of Rome, Caesar Augustus. He ruled 41 years. He wasn't born with the name Augustus. They called him Augustus. Augustus means holy. That's how precious they regarded him. As precious as a temple, as precious as the things that priests sanctify. And their own Roman poet describes the meaning of Augustus that way. They deified him. They made a man into a god. And by his decree, miles away, in a province. By the way, when you take the census, that's like you getting off to your bedroom when you're a child and counting your allowance. It's yours. Augustus was taking the census of the whole Roman Empire by counting heads. Something God, by the way, told King David never to do. By counting heads, because heads mean wealth. Taxes, people, earning power. And into this world, in the shadow of Augustus, miles away in a small province of Judea, a little town, not even Jerusalem, but outside of Jerusalem, a little town, Bethlehem, house of bread, home of David the king, there was born Jesus, the king of kings, the one called holy, even by the way he was to be born. The, the holy one of God will overshadow you. His spirit will come upon you, and he will be called holy. Luke chapter 1, verses 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. He will be called the Son of God. How ironic. Augustus called himself the Son of God. In other words, the one true God, the Holy One, became man. At the same time, man was trying to become God and holy. Not even something anyone could do, but only one, Augustus, who became the model for all emperors to follow. And they all fell short. What humility. When I think of a king, I think of crowns and thrones and palaces. I don't think of a stable. And when we were in the Holy Land in 2010, 
I got to see those, what we call a stable or a barn, is usually kind of a, a naturally formed, either by erosion or the movement of the earth or the movement of water. But they're, they're just these rock outcroppings. They're, they're small caverns in rock. You can be walking along, you come around a kind of an exposed rock, and there's this, this alcove, this space. And it's all dirty. It's sooty because they burn fires in there. You know, if it's a shepherd's nook, the shepherds, they, they cook and burn, and the sheep are in there. And there's no golden, uh, you know, hay in a, in a wooden manger. It's a, it's a rock outcropping in which Jesus is laid. What barriers, in other words, is God willing to cross to reach us where we are? I, I, I got to tell you, I'm not acquainted with the ways of royalty. I, I, but I am acquainted with barns and stalls. I can tell you a lot about them. A lot of us know things in life that are common to human experience, but that we would never expect God to care about or understand because of his majesty. And yet in Christmas and in the cross, the birth, life, cross, resurrection of Jesus, what's demonstrated to us is God knows the details of our experience, and he cares about them. He loves you. Maybe one of the most amazing things to me is that in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and I'm just going to share with you what Paul says, just a few words, not the whole section. Who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a slave. That's the word. It was the lowest class of person in the Roman Empire. In fact, one writer said that a slave is a machine which breeds a piece of anim animated property. That's how the Roman Empire viewed a slave. A piece of animated property. A machine which breeds, not human. And you know what crucifixion was reserved for? Slaves. either by conquest or birth. People who didn't matter. People who didn't count. You'll never read Philippians 2 again if you understand it says he became as a slave, was obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The punishment of slaves. Paul, the apostle, he could never have been crucified as a Roman citizen. Jesus was crucified in his identification with you and me because of love. When someone says, I love you, sometimes we think of ifs, buts, and becauses. But when Jesus says, I love you, 
It is a complete sentence with a period on the end. No ifs, becauses, or otherwise. He did all that that we might have life. Have life. That's what the incarnation really impresses upon us. And I just want to take a moment to share only three things. More could be talked about. But just three things that I think you really should appreciate about the birth of Jesus Christ. Incarnation, that is, Jesus is very God and very man. Two natures in one person. Very God, very man. Not half and half. Fully and fully. That's his nature his, in one person. And that means that God completely, completely identifies with us in our humanity, in our existence. A second thing, it means that Jesus is the God-man forever. Now just let that sink in for a moment. He's the God-man forever. He doesn't shed that at the resurrection. He returns to the right hand of the Father, but he remains fully human, resurrected, transformed. But also, how powerful when we think about our future, our existence in Jesus Christ, that we are to follow him who is called by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, the last Adam. Why is he called the last Adam? Because this is a new existence that usurps, transcends, eclipses our existence in the first Adam. And that we would be fit for the very presence of God even as Jesus is. In other words, when he became human, he didn't just take on a role or some short... This is a new existence that becomes the pattern and what Paul calls the first fruits of our existence. This is your destiny. This is in Christmas, the, in the incarnation, the wedding of heaven, heaven and earth in Jesus Christ and our life with him and God in new life in all capitals, in a new existence that transcends our own and that we get a foretaste of in love through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit even now. That's what was happening in Christmas. And when we say it changed the course of all history and the world forever, then you understand that to some extent. Some small extent we begin to appreciate what God did in Jesus Christ in a way that is truly hard to fathom in all of its fullness. And the third thing, it means his death and resurrection is a cosmic defeat. It even brings into greater understanding what he accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection. It was a cosmic defeat of sin, death, and the devil. And that is so profoundly important for your life and mine. Martin Luther, associated with the 
Protestant Reformation, perhaps the poster boy of the Protestant Reformation. Lutheranism is named after Martin Luther. Martin Luther wrote extensively, and he wrote a lot of sermons and messages, writings on John 3.16. I read some of them this week, and here was an excerpt. He says, we have a Savior who is more than a saint or an angel. I mean, wouldn't it be beautiful on an earthly scale to have someone say your life is worth me? I'm going to lay down my life for you. God is saying you are worth a son to me. I lay down my son for you. And when you know who that son is, that becomes profound. He's not just a good man or a great man. He's not even a saint or an angel. He's superior to all of that, and that's what Luther is drawing our attention to. He says, if he was not superior to these, we would get no help from him, because sin, death, and the devil are all greater. We needed the incarnation. We need the resurrection. We need the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we need the certainty of who he was to impress upon us as we need to have it impressed that God loves us because it's a transforming love that ought to change the way we feel about ourselves, think about ourselves, and not only ourselves, but the way we feel about others and think about others. He went on to say, it is certain that this Son can affect a new birth in us and can therefore be a victory and conqueror of the devil. This is because God's Son is vastly greater than death, far stronger than sin, far stronger and greater than the devil. Yeah. Only when we've been awestruck by his majesty can we be overwhelmed by his love. I hope you're awestruck just a little bit more by what God did at Christmas for you and for me. You know, this week... uh, My mind was jogged. You know, things pop into our minds. And I realized that NASA, you know, NASA, the space program, the word NASA is a Hebrew word. You know what the Hebrew word means? It means to lift up, lift off, carry. And I thought, I wonder if the NASA space program dipped into the little bit of Hebrew for their name. But no, NASA is just an acronym for National Aeronautics and Space Administration. But you know what's interesting is NASA, or NASA, or NASA, N-A-S-A, is translated in some very interesting places in the Old Testament as forgive. And you know why? Because 
When people do wrong, someone has to carry it. It takes It becomes a burden. And someone has to take responsibility. Someone has to pay the cost. Someone has to bear the burden of it and shoulder the consequences of it. And so when people plead or pray, forgive me, they often use the word NASA. Lift it. Take it. Take this burden off of me. We're humbled. And when we really see the majesty of God, when we get a glimpse of who our Creator is, you know, get out of the city and see the majesty of His creation. Or contemplate who it is who has made you and the intricacy of who you are. It causes us to be humbled, and in some cases, maybe all cases, certainly in my case, to feel shame, unworthiness, uh, to realize that, in a sense, I'm a debtor to God. I can't thank Him enough. I can't praise him enough, I can't honor him enough, I can't lift him up enough, I can't acknowledge him enough, and I certainly can't make up for the things that I have done in neglect and ingratitude. And I owe a debt to who he is, his holiness. But what God gave us in Jesus Christ is the NASA. He's lifted not only our burdens, our sins, those things we carry around with us that no person, institution, no psychologist or anyone else in this world can absolve you of, things that you can't forgive yourself for. In Jesus Christ, God lifts it all forgives it all. And more than that, from those depths, what I want us to appreciate in the incarnation and the resurrection, what we celebrate at Christmas in Jesus, is that he lifts us with it. Days before Luther died, by the way, he wrote, he said John 3.16 should be written on walls and should be written large in gold letters on our hearts. And in his closing days of life, he read John 3.16, and it is said, it's reported, that just before he died, he recited it five times in Latin. He called it the Bible in itself, in just a word in just a brevity of words, so simple and so easy to understand. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray, but I want to remind you that uh, 
Christmas to really be Christmas, whether this will be the best Christmas ever or fall way short of all the Christmases past, maybe you're going through something that's really, really hard for you. And you feel all alone. In fact, you may feel that what you're going through, no one has ever felt or experienced quite like the way you are feeling it and experiencing it. And it just doesn't seem like Christmas. You feel like you're on the outside looking in. The whole message of Christmas is that God loves you. And if you get that, take it to heart. Take that truth that can't be changed by the way we feel, can't be changed by any circumstances, that truth to heart, and let it seep in, soak in, that it might start to change the way you think about yourself, see yourself, See your circumstances. See others in the world around you. See your purpose in life. What God wants to do with the dignity that we have, the identity that we have in Jesus Christ because he loves us and that he calls us a child. If that's something you're believing this morning for the first time and you'd like to pray with me or share that with me or with other pastors who will stand down here or elders and their spouses, we invite you to come. I'm going to pray for us now, but when I say amen, we're going to be here. Let this be the best Christmas ever. You may want to pray because of God's love, not only for you that you deeply appreciate but because of God's love just pulsing within you for others and it's on their behalf you want to pray if so we invite you to come whatever it is bring it to the God who loves you and know this Christmas remember this Christmas he knows he cares because he loves and Jesus proves it let me pray for us father thank you for your son Jesus Christ words seem inefficient, incomplete, unable to express our thanks. We praise you in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.